I didn't get to watch the whole game, but just like even how it all happened with the Leafs game last night, that was, that was very exciting. And so we're glad that that happened the way that it did. And I'm being vague in case you haven't watched it yet, but it's exciting. And with the Pete's, it's, you know, what we'll take it. We'll take it at home, right? Yes? Okay. We're all, we're all in agreement there. If we haven't met, my name is Al Westerman. I'm the pastor here. And I, I say this all the time, but I, I want you to know that I mean this very sincerely. It is a privilege every time I come up here to be able to share with you what the Lord has been doing in my life, what the Lord has laid on my heart. Today is especially important to me because we're going to be talking about prayer. We have a fortunate break between series and we have two weeks. Now this should be, by all accounts, this really should be a six-week series, but we're going to do it in two weeks. So I'm going to leave a couple things unsaid and and, and that's okay, but uh, it's really important what the Lord wants to show to us regarding prayer and regarding the Lord's Prayer. Father God, may you be glorified. May you be glorified in what is said from here, what is treasured and cherished in our hearts. Lord, may you reveal yourself. God, my prayer is that you reveal yourself to each of your children, including myself. Amen. Have you guys ever completed something, but then still felt like an aspect of it was missing? I don't know if you do art, but if you've you've done art and you've completed your art project, you just look at it and you're like, it's good, but something's just missing. There's that little extra mm, that I'm looking for and it's, it's just not there. Or maybe you're putting on uh, an outfit and you're like, okay, like it's, it's fine, there's nothing actually wrong with it, but it's just a little bland. It just needs that little extra something. And you don't know what that is, but you just, you can sense that there's something missing. I think... The disciples must have had a similar revelation when they heard Jesus praying. Now, maybe they didn't even realize that there was something missing until they actually heard him praying, but there was something about the way that Jesus prayed that illuminated to the disciples that more was available to them. I mean, we, we got to hand it to the disciples. We saw this in the text. The disciples, after hearing Jesus prayed, they came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. That takes courage. That takes humility. You got to understand, they've been doing this. They've been praying their whole life. And it's fine. But in acknowledging this, in coming to Jesus and saying this, what they're saying is that there is more to be learned. A lot of us have been praying for our entire lives, and it's fine. But what I think the Lord's saying is that there's something more there for you. And so, I don't know if it's even ever really dawned on any of us, but prayer is something that we can continually grow in. 
Maybe you came to Jesus later on in life. Maybe when your parents were teaching you how to pray, probably one of the first thoughts that you heard is that prayer is just... Thank, thank you. That's the textbook answer, right? And it's, it's true. That's what prayer is. It's just talking with God. And that's true. Fair, right? That's good. But if you think about it, even in the natural, when we're talking with someone and people in particular, we're actually always learning, aren't we? We're learning about what does the person like? What do they not like? What topics do they gravitate towards? What topics do they stay away from? We always learn about people. And what's especially neat is when we get closer to the heart of the person, we learn about their desires. And so learning more about people, facts, and learning about people's hearts allows us to communicate better with them. And that's one of the aims that we're doing today is we want to learn more about prayer and who Jesus is, what his desires are. And what better place to do that than in Matthew 6? Now, Matthew 6 has been called the Lord's Prayer. We all call it the Lord's Prayer, but it's actually not the Lord's Prayer proper. The Lord's Prayer would be in John 17 because that's the prayer that Jesus prays. It's fantastic and it's amazing. Matthew 6 and what we just read in Luke 11 is the prayer that the Lord gives. Now, we know this can't be the Lord's prayer, as in this can't be the prayer that Jesus prays, because in it, he asks for forgiveness of sins. Jesus never sinned, so it can't be his prayer that way. It's, the, it's a model that he gives. And so, let's, let's read the passage. We're going to be in Matthew 6, and I'm going to start reading in verse 5. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's roughly three-quarters of the way through the Bible. And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees all that is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep babbling like the pagans, for they, they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. A quick note I want to put in there for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. That is beautiful. It is fitting, and it is in no way incorrect to say, but that was added. It's not in the original manuscripts. So 
say it because it's beautiful, but just understand that it's not actually in the original manuscripts. The first thing that I want us to notice is that this is a model prayer. The Lord's Prayer isn't meant to be said as a prayer, at least not exclusively. It, it can be, and it's fine to be. But it's actually meant to be a model for prayer. It's meant to be a springboard of sorts. So what makes me say that? Well, first thing is when he says, this is how you should pray. He doesn't say, this is what you should pray. So if it's how we should pray, then it's maybe more of a hallway that we can travel down. Another thing is, in verse 7, he instructs us to not babble on like the pagans. They, try to, they think that by their many words that they'll be heard. And so maybe they try by excessive repetition. So if he's telling us to avoid excessive repetition... The next verse, he wouldn't be telling us to engage in excessive repetition. Again, not that saying the Lord's Prayer is wrong in any way. It's just that was never intended to be the end. So, again, what I believe that this is meant to be is it's meant to be a springboard to take us into greater revelation. It's meant to be a hallway in which we can contain our thoughts and our prayers and travel down in a safe, but also within a truthful way. I think that is the point of the Lord's Prayer, and this week and next week, I want to be looking at that. I'm going to look at the first four of the six sections today, and then next week, I will look at the last two. One thing that really stood out to me when, when doing this was the order that the Lord's Prayer is in. The order of the things is extremely important to me. And I will let you know that I wrote this around two weeks ago. My prayers have changed since then. So I've been praying my whole life. But in doing this study, my prayers have changed as a result. And so I hope that you can also receive some sort of revelation in that. Where we're going to begin is where it begins. Our Father in heaven. And this is all about knowing your true family. Right off the bat here, the first word is our. Now that's neat. It's our Father. This is intended to be a collective revelation. This is a united thing. It also indicates that there is a spreadable nature of the fatherhood of God. That's pretty neat. He, Jesus also uses the word our father. He uses several different words with father. One of them he uses is your father. You see this in verse 14 where he says, when your father forgives your sins. He's talk, this is to illuminate the forgiveness that the individual is able to enter into. In other places in the New Testament, he says, my father. And this is to illuminate his distinct sonship. So the word our here is, in, is very important for understanding that those who don't yet identify God as father will be able to. It's the communal nature of that. Also, it was common for many of the Hebrews 
when they would enter into times of prayer, that they would ascribe many different titles to God. One of them was Elohim, which is the God of Israel. Or you could say, God of the people. Or you could say, our God. It's a great title. Another one is Jehovah Jireh, which is the God who provides. Again, it's a really good thing to understand. Another one, which is my favorite, is El Shaddai, God Almighty. I just, I just love that. It just stirs within me something beautiful. And there are many other different names for God as well, and they are fitting and they are good. What's interesting here is that out of any of the chosen designations that Jesus could have, the one that he chooses is Father. He chooses Father. Again, everything else that we could have used in that is fitting if we think about the personal nature of Elohim, that is, the God of Israel, or it's like our God. A father is very personal in that way. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. A good father provides for his children. If you think about Elohim, God Almighty, a good father in their child's eyes is mighty. There's nothing that your dad can't do or lift or whatever. It's, you have this view of your dad as being mighty. And so Jesus brings this forward. Now, the idea of God as father is not actually exclusively a New Testament concept, although it's brought forth in the New Testament in ways that it's really not in the Old Testament. It's made much more clear. Jesus talks about it far more often and far more directly. There's approximately a handful of allusions or references of God being Father in the Old Testament, but it's never quite as pointed as Jesus makes it. Jesus also refers to God as Father to be in contrast to the other gods of the day, especially in the day that he was living. Some of those gods would have required child sacrifice. Others were tyrannical, malevolent. So when he says, our father, the implication here is that of a benevolent father. It's designed to be personal and gracious. And at this point, I would like to acknowledge that I understand that not everyone has had that father role in their life. I understand that the word father can be marred with pain and shame. I do understand that the term father can carry that. That said, I don't think we're meant to do away with it. I don't think we're meant to just get rid of it because for so many it can be a difficult word. Remember, he says, our Father in heaven. And the idea here is that whatever your experience was of your Father, it's a level up from there. It's greater than that. It's better than that. It's the perfection of that. In adding our Father in heaven, our heavenly Father, we are to understand that 
Yes, our dad may have been provider. Our dad may have been mighty. Our dad may have been personal. But this God, this heavenly father, is a level up. Last thing I want to talk about with father is the word Abba. And it appears, I think, three times in the New Testament is the word Abba. And it really is a wonderful word. Because as personal as father might be, it also carries with it formality, right? It's, you know, you're standing up father. And, and it's a much more formal sort of a word. Whereas Abba was one traditionally said more by children. And it invokes a much more personal spin. Now, some people, and this is my opinion, some people and that of my university professors. Some people take this a little bit too far, in my opinion, and they would go to daddy, that they think that Abba translate better to daddy. And you, if you do this, I'm not making fun of you. Uh, you hear adults say daddy God, and I just, I don't think that's a proper translation or understanding of the word. I think it is meant to be personal, but I think that it's also meant to be formal. And whereas I would never call my earthly father, I, I can't say it. I do call him dad. I just can't do it. That's, that's just weird. Um, so dad is a very good term for that. And they don't actually contradict each other in any way. In all three instances where Abba is used, it's used as Abba Pater, and that's in the original language, Abba Pater. And they're different languages, and they mean different things, but they go together. Abba Father, Dad Father, personal, formal, holy. The second part of the prayer is, holy be your name. And this is, this is all about first things first. Now, another way to phrase this would be, may your name be made holy. A clarification here. In saying that, there is no way that God's name can be made unholy, nor can God be made unholy. God is holy, and he cannot be made otherwise. His name is holy. It can't be dented. It can't be destroyed. It can't be diminished. It can't be marred. It can't be stained. Nothing. God is holy and cannot be otherwise. Who then is this prayer for? It's for us. It's that we can realize and acknowledge and treasure God's holiness. And this is something that I come back to again and again, and I will continue to come back to, is that he is worthy. He is worthy of all of our praise, all of our admiration. He is so worthy. His beauty and his value defy comprehension. Now, one of the best things that we can do here on earth is to try to grasp it. 
It's one of the most worthwhile pursuits that we have is to try to grasp the beauty and the majesty of God. And I want to be clear on this. It takes a miracle. I honestly believe it takes a miracle to properly behold God in all of his glory. It takes the Holy Spirit of God to illuminate within us the truth about who he is. to properly treasure his holiness. It takes a miracle. Sometimes we need to read texts, (laughs) like Revelation 1, to get a proper view of the beauty of Christ. So Revelation 1, verse 12, and you can turn there if you want. I'm reading six verses. I turned to see, so context, this is the Apostle John. He got exiled to the island of Patmos, and this is near the end of his life. He's receiving revelation of Jesus Christ. I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed with a robe down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow. And his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. (sighs) Hmm. I don't... I don't know what that stirs up in you. I hope it stirs up something like gratitude and reverence. We don't know exactly what got stirred up within the Apostle John, but we know how he responded. When he was able to properly behold the beauty and majesty of his king, he fell down on his face by his feet. No one told him to. This was just the proper response. This is how he wanted. This is what he wanted to do. This is where he wanted to be. You gotta think, what does this do to John's prayer life. And if you look at prayer life as being with Jesus, do you think he wants to be here? Do you think he wants to be in this moment? Do you think he wants to be experiencing his king? What does he want in this moment? He wants to experience him. And that is his sole focus. He wants to behold him in all of his beauty and majesty. And it's properly being revealed to him. Now, 
if John were to have continued to live for several years after this, how would his prayer life have changed? What sorts of things would he pray? With what passion would he pray? With what reverence? In, in that moment, you, can't, you couldn't imagine him asking for something, could you? You couldn't imagine him just bringing up that uh, his dog's sick and that we, he'd like to see a miracle in this regard. Just the asking seems so insignificant compared to beholding his glory. I also want us to understand what we're up against here. 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4 says that the God of this age, that being the devil, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Now, he blinds the minds of unbelievers, but he tries to blind our minds and our hearts as well. His aim is to, at all costs, prevent us from beholding God in all of his beauty. That's his aim, because if he is able to do that, and we don't ever properly understand who our king is, it holds the power to stunt our prayers, our desire to pray, our desire to be with him. So that is the aim of the devil. This is what we're up against. So in response to this, an appropriate prayer would be, God, I want to receive sight to view you the way that you truly are. I want to view you as beautiful and majestic. I want to behold you in all of your glory. This part of the prayer is all about worship. And worship defined by John Piper is knowing, treasuring, and expressing the supreme value and beauty of God. This, has, this section has everything to do with knowing, understanding, and treasuring the beauty of God. Now, before we move on to the next section, which is about the kingdom of heaven, I want to share a thought I heard from Glenn Duncan. He, when he was talking about the kingdom of God and the treasure within it, we have to ask, what is the real treasure of the kingdom of God? Is it salvation? Well, surely that's part of it, and salvation is a treasure that we receive from God. Is it, is it miracles? Is it provision? Is it the blessings that we receive by being children of God? What Glenn said was that the true treasure of the kingdom of God is the king. The king is the treasure. 
knowing Him, being with Him, and experiencing Him. That is the treasure that's worth pursuing. Your kingdom come, your will be done. This is about having a kingdom mindset. So to define the word kingdom here, it literally means king's domain. It's the domain of the king. So this is where God has domain. And so it would be fitting, wouldn't it, that we ask for God's kingdom to be made manifest here on earth as it is in heaven. Now, another way that we could translate your kingdom come, your will be done, is make sure I get it right, that God's will will be fully accomplished on earth as it is already fully accomplished in heaven. When we ask this, it's asking, it's in regards to righteousness, miracles, salvation, and understanding his will for our lives. Righteousness. Righteousness is very, very important. It is And when we're asking this from a kingdom mindset, it is understanding that in heaven, you are already, you have already been made perfectly righteous. So when we ask for kingdom, God's kingdom to come, in terms of our righteousness, it is allowing a kingdom reality to be true in our earthly lives in regard to our righteousness. Are you guys tracking with me on that? I have a lot to say about righteousness, but... We'll do it more in other weeks. It's one of my favorite topics. If that's true, if it's true that in heaven you've been made fully righteous, but you see yourself differently, we have to ask, who's right? So I think it's, it's very proper to ask for his kingdom to come and his will to be done in regard to our righteousness. So in terms of miracles, prophecies, and salvations, I want to start this off by reading from 1 Timothy 2, 3 to 4. It is the will of God that all men should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Who should be saved? That all men should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. One more time. It is the will of God that all men should be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That's a pretty neat verse, isn't it? When we pray for the kingdom of heaven to be ushered into earth, we pray for God's presence and God's power to be made plain before us. An illustration that I heard about this some, a couple weeks ago, by all people, a comedian was that of a submarine. He compared living on Earth to being in a submarine. Now, in a submarine, you kind of have your own way to manufacture air, and it's kind of fine. But imagine if there was a tube going from the submarine straight up to the surface. And that surface up there is the kingdom realities. That is the heaven realities. That's where God is. Now, when we pray, what we do is we usher in 
that kingdom reality. We invite that air, that true air, that pure air into our space. We invite God and the kingdom of God into our environments. That is effectively what prayer is. It's inviting God into the situation. God is there. He's waiting patiently to be invited in. And when we pray, even with trivial things, it doesn't have to be with big things. It can be inviting God into your cooking. I remember uh, several years ago now, someone was having to do some photocopying. And it was a tedious task because he had to do several different things. And he was like, oh, this is so annoying because I have to do like 100 copies of this and I have to do this, that, and this, that, and that every time. And I was like, well, have you prayed about it? Because maybe there's a better way. He said, there's no better way. I said, well, pray about it. I came back 20 minutes later. He was like, yeah, it turns out there was a better way. <laughs> Seriously, though, inviting him in to any and every circumstance, it makes a difference. When we think about that and we think about miracles, prophecy, and salvation, we, we have to ask, what is the end? What is the aim? What is the purpose of all this? Now, miracles and healing can demonstrate the abundance of God. Another thing that we know about heaven is that in heaven, there is no pain, there is no sickness, there is no disease. So when we ask for kingdom to come and will to be done, what we're asking is, health-wise, on earth as it is in heaven. And similar to miracles, the end with prophecy is accurate understanding. You remember, prophecy is sharing God's perspective. That's what prophecy is. And so when someone has an incorrect view, perhaps of themselves, of their righteousness, uh, an incorrect view of the word of God, an incorrect view of other people or the world, sometimes God will bring revelation through scripture or a word of prophecy from someone else. And the purpose of this is accurate understanding because in heaven there is no inaccurate understandings. So it's asking for a kingdom reality to come forth. And in both of these cases, God is glorified, exalted, and uh, yeah, he's experienced. And the individual, perhaps yourself, is edified and their strength, faith is strengthened. Another story regarding this comes from a friend of mine, Jacob Walda. Now, Jacob Walda works for the Bill Prankard Evangelical Association, and what they do is they go up north and they share the gospel. They do short-term missions trips way, 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 way up north. God has given them an incredible heart for this, and they, they share the love of God, with, and they see many people come to a saving knowledge of him. It's, it's beautiful what they do there. But their heart for the Arctic goes beyond just missions trips. They pray for them as well. One of the things they contended for in 2022 was a suicide-free space. And so they reached out to their prayer teams and they said, this is what we're fighting for this year. We're fighting for a suicide-free space. And what's amazing here is that 
when the kingdom of God enters a district, it makes a difference. Jacob believes in prayer. He believes in the power of prayer. The prayer team believes in the power of prayer. They, invite, they believe that when we pray, the kingdom of God is ushered into a district or an area or a place or situations. And in 2022, although there were approximately a dozen suicides in 2021, 2022, there were zero suicides in Pangnertum. That's crazy. That's what happens when people believe that prayer makes a difference. Because prayer matters. Said more accurately, your prayers matter. We also ask for God's will to be done. Now, to understand God's will, it is absolutely imperative and irreplaceable to read the Bible. But it's also not sufficient. We need Holy Spirit to help us understand the Bible and to illuminate truths that God has for us. And he illuminates scripture within our heart. So it's asking for kingdom to come in regard to our reading of the scripture. Last section, our favorite section, give us this day our daily bread. Yes, this is the asking part. This is our favorite part, right? This is where we get to ask for stuff. Yeah. So first thing that I'll say is that what's understood and implied in writing this is that it is for needs, not greeds. It could be translated, give us today our needs for today. Bread is meaning all that we need for the mortal realm. It's also a reference back to manna. And if you remember with manna, one of the things that was true is that if you gathered two days worth, if you were, or in other words, if you were being greedy, it would spoil, except on the Sabbath. So this section is more about needs than greeds. But honestly, the biggest thing that I want us to, un- and, and this is the biggest takeaway that I want us to have, is that this is not first. I will admit, for most of my life, this is where I've started with prayer. It starts off with a quick thank you, and then I go right into my list of things that I want. Dear God, thank you for this day. Please, please, blah, blah, blah. And, And that's kind of how a lot of us have been trained to play. It's thank you, pray, thank you for this day, and then you go into the big list. I think it was very strategic that when we had prayer as a model as it is, that we started off by understanding God as Father, as Source, that we got a proper view and were aligned with His holiness, and that we actually wanted His kingdom to come and His will be done, not ours. 
And if we can get a proper heart for that, our prayers become much more, I'll say accurate. They become much more in line with what his prayers for us wants to be or what he wants to loosen to us and what he wants to give us. Psalm 37.4 is a really good invitation from God. It's delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. And what I take this to mean is that as we make him our delight, he actually puts desires in us. And we begin to desire the things that he desires for us. Delight in me and I will give you the desires of your heart. So when you have his desires within you, you pray for his desires to become reality. And that, that's a prayer that he wants to answer. It's also important for us to understand that prayer is not designed for us to bend God to our will. To keep going with my chiropractic illustrations, it is us being aligned to his will. When we understand his will better, honestly, we just save a lot of time. We save a lot of time praying, not praying for things that he doesn't even want for us. And if we really think about it, we don't even really need. I think maybe one of the best ways to illustrate this is a story I heard from a friend of mine. Um, I'm not going to name names, but he's the chaplain for a local hockey team. And um, so Dave prays for... So it's my, it's my friend Dave Jones. Um, Dave, Dave goes to the Peds frequently, and he, he asks them, what would you like prayer for? And so one of the players came when, uh, when asked this question, was like, you know what, I'd really like to get a goal. Dave's like, yeah, okay, that makes sense. He's a good player, and that seems like it'd be something that would be good to pray for. And so as time went on, Dave prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and the player played and he played and he played, but there was no goal. And, and Dave, Dave's like, I think I'm praying in line with God's will. Like, God, what, what gives? Like, what is happening? He's good. I'm praying for it. This would be a good way for you to be glorified. And then Dave felt like he heard that still small voice. And what he said is, you're praying the wrong prayer. What I want you to pray for is his confidence. Every time he gets the puck, he's overthinking things and he's getting super nervous. And what I want you to pray for is I want you to pray for confidence for him. Well, now that Dave has been aligned with God's will, he reevaluated and changed the way that he prayed. And I mean, maybe, maybe it's coincidence. But it just so happened that the very next game that the player played, he scored a goal. Changing the way that you pray and aligning yourself with God, <laughs> again, honestly, it will save you a lot of time. This is actually similar to something that the pastors decided on a couple months ago. As you probably know, if you've been in Peterborough for any length of time, that there is a significant issue within the city. 
And, and, that's, and that's homelessness. And so we got together and we talked about it. We talked about the problem of homelessness and we talked about people who are experiencing homelessness. And for a while into the conversation, it was, what should we do? You know, it's the pastors of seven or eight churches. It represents thousands of people. What could we do? And I mean, there's a list, right? There's a list of good things that we could do. And if we had thousands of people working together, we could do something quite significant. But that's not where the pastors landed. What we landed on is that we want to get together. We want to come together, all the churches in Peterborough, most of them, and we just want to catch God's heart. We want to catch God's heart for the homeless. Because we know that if God illuminates the why within someone, they will find a way. If, if, God, illuminates, if God ignites a fire within someone's heart, they're going to push forward and they're going to make a difference in that. We also believe that prayer is the most powerful tool that we have. And so what are we going to do about it? Well, we're going to meet at Murray Street Baptist next Sunday from 6 to 7.30, and it's going to be a time of prayer. I, I hope many of you can make it there. It's going to just be beautiful to see hundreds of Christians come together for the sole purpose of prayer. It's not something you want to be a part of. It should just be absolutely incredible. Nothing that one of the pastors, that the pastors understand in this is that prayer has a way of awakening things within our hearts that are in line with God's will and our purpose. A young man that I've been paired up with for evangelism the past two weeks said to me at, uh, at the end of it on Thursday, his, and, and by the way, he goes with me and doesn't say a word to people because that's where he's at right now. This is, that's like his second time doing it. But he said to me, he's like, I just come alive inside. When we're doing this, when we're sharing Jesus with people, when we're praying for people, and I'm looking at their faces as we're praying, I can just see hope coming to them. And, and he comes alive inside. And the reason why that is, is because this is something that God is igniting within him that is in line with God's will and his purpose. We're praying for this to happen next Sunday at Murray Street from, at 6 o'clock. So as we close for today, I think Jesus wants us to, Natalie. The location was, so Natalie's saying that Living Waters is going to be happening beneath that as it's happening. And that was actually chosen strategically. So, like, right afterwards, we're actually baptizing a lady that is going, is coming to homelessness. And she has this beautiful story where this, like, she, all of her only possession that she's kept is her Bible. And mm. she has a bookmark of a time where 
Yeah. So what Natalie was saying there, for those of you online, is that they're, after the service, they're going to be baptizing a lady who's been, uh, became a Christian around three weeks ago. She went to different clinics and had different people, but they never really heard about her. She never really felt heard. And when she came to Christian, she really felt that. And she felt like that was something that was worth um, pursuing and pushing for. And so that's, that's, that's really special. So as I'm closing, I just really feel like Jesus wants to remember that we're praying to our Father in heaven. He wants us to understand and behold him in his beauty and holiness. He wants us to ask for his kingdom to come and his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Before we start asking... I've gotten so used to asking, but allowing myself to be properly aligned with God before getting there has changed my prayers. I strongly encourage all of you to just spend time, just ask for the miracle of God to be revealed to you. Ask for the scales to drop. Ask for your eyes to be opened. And Father God, we do ask for that. Right now, in in Jesus' holy name, we ask that you remove the scales, that you remove uh, any blinding that the enemy tries to block or put against us, Lord. God, we pray that we can behold you in all of your beauty, in all of your majesty. God, may we pursue the true treasure of the kingdom of God, our holy king. Amen.